We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. We can still um, hear from God's word. It doesn't matter whether we have a screen working or not. And we can still praise his glorious name, can't we? And I was just reflecting, actually, before we started, that we wouldn't have had... Um, church, if it actually wasn't for our tech team over the whole pandemic. Um, so, so, bless you and thank you for all your, your help um, over this past year. If you don't know who I am or you've never met me before in person, my name's Sam and my day job is I work as an analyst um, for the Department for Work and Pensions. And um, why don't I pray again before we start? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can hear from you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you'd help us to understand what we read, and you'd also write it onto our hearts. Amen. I absolutely love the Psalms. I genuinely mean that when I say that. I think they're fantastic, and I'm super excited to be able to share with you today Psalm 112. I think it is a fascinating psalm in many aspects. And I'm actually also super excited because I think the psalm helps us answer a question which, if you're sat here today and you're a Christian, which I think we often ask ourselves, I might just stop, is that, is that causing the issue or is it me? Or we're not sure? I'm happy to have it off. Okay, if it's too much of an issue, just turn it off, I can project, not a problem. And <laughs> um, I, I think it helps answer that fundamental question we often ask ourselves as Christians is, how can I become more Christ-like? How can I become more like Jesus, more like the God who loves me and has saved me? And so before we read, I think it's really helpful to have a bit of background and context to Psalm 112, because the psalm before it, Psalm 111, act, they act as a double act. So Psalm 112 is the sequel, if you like, to Psalm 111. Okay, so broadly, Psalm 111 is saying, this is our God. This is the character of God. Our God is holy. His works are majestic. It's all about God in Psalm 111. And then when we come to Psalm 112, the focus shifts, and it moves to us, and how we can display the characteristics of the God which is described in Psalm 111. Okay, so Psalm 111, all about God. Psalm 112, how we can display that God. Psalm 112 is the sequel to Psalm 111. And we know this because of three main things. Firstly, and as we'll see, Psalm 111 describes the characteristics of God, and then the language which is used in Psalm 112 is very similar, if not identical, to the words used in Psalm 111. So much so that um, both Psalms are 23 lines in length, and the words used in, for example, lines 7 and 8 in Psalm 112 are identical to the words used in lines 7 and 8 of Psalm 111. So that's the first reason. The second reason we know why they're related is because the end of Psalm 111 talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And then right at the start of 112, that theme is carried on. 
It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So that's the second reason. And the third, and I think most exciting and interesting reason why we know these two psalms are related, is because they're both called acrostic psalms. So as I mentioned, both psalms are 23 lines in length, and they both start with the first line. It's the same in both psalms. Praise the Lord. And then the following 22 lines start with sequential letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, which is what these psalms were written in, the language of Hebrew. And each new line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so that's what an acrostic psalm is. But why, why bother with an acrostic psalm? There's only nine psalms of the 150 which are acrostic. Well, there, there are three main reasons, really, why you'd use an acrostic psalm. And the first is a simple one. It acts as a mnemonic. It's much easier to remember and recite these psalms, particularly at the time when they were written, when many people couldn't read. An easy way to remember something is to use a mnemonic. If uh, you're ever taught how to, um, uh, to go through our own alphabet, hopefully you have been taught that, or you're teaching your children that, we often uh, line it up with the tune of um, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, don't we? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And it's exactly the same with these psalms. In order to help people remember psalms, they could put it into an acrostic form so they'd know, oh, well, I know the order of it because it's going through my alphabet. So that's the first reason. The second reason an acrostic psalm is used is, by its very nature, it kind of forces the writer of the psalm to really consider what they're putting into the psalm. They're forced, aren't they? They have to start each new line with the next letter of the alphabet, so they're really having to think, what do I really want to say here? So they've really quite carefully constructed psalms. And the third reason, which we'll see later as we get into the psalm itself, is that they kind of reflect the eternal nature of God. Another name for our God, isn't it, is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Our God is eternal. He has always been and will always be. And as we look into the psalm, we'll see that what it's talking about is eternal things, things which last and have eternal significance. I think it's really exciting. I think it's really interesting that these psalms are created in this way. So let's get into it. I'm going to read the passage. Now, um, Obviously, it's not going to be on the screen, so I definitely encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to uh, get it open on your phone or a physical copy in front of you, and also to keep it open uh, throughout the time we're together. I'm also reading from the ESV, so if if you are online and you can choose your version, then do that, but it is fairly similar to the NIV. Anyway, I will read. So Psalm 112, it starts like this. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. 
So it starts off with a bit of a bang, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. That phrase there is a two-word Hebrew phrase, hallelujah and yah. So the word hallelujah means to give praise, and yah, so the end of the word hallelujah, is a shortened version of the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So we might, in the Old Testament, they call God Yahweh. Um, we don't actually know, even now, how to actually pronounce the word Yahweh. Um, it's not a problem that we say Yahweh. Um, and that's because in uh, the Old Testament, uh, when they wrote the word Yahweh, they wouldn't include vowels. So it's just Y-H-W-H. So we kinda are kind of guessing how to actually pronounce it, which isn't a problem. One of the other ways we also don't really know how it's spoken is because God was treated as so holy in the Old Testament that they wouldn't even speak the name Yahweh out. Such was the holiness and reverence that God was treated with. The rest of the psalm carries on in that verse, doesn't it? It carries on from the end of 111. So if you have got a Bible open, 111 finishes like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. And then Psalm 112 carries that on. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. And this fear is not a kind of craven fear that we're kind of terrified to be in the presence of God, even though he is powerful and he is mighty. No, it's a reverential love. It's an acknowledgement, yes, of who God is, that he's holy. But look what happens to the person who fears the Lord. They greatly delight in the commandments of God. They love to spend time and dwell with the Lord, to dwell in his presence, to feed off his word. Wouldn't it be great for you and me to be able to say that we delight in the commandments of God, that we love to dwell and spend time with God? We know, don't we, that God's word is profitable for training in righteousness, for teaching us, for equipping us, for every good work. It teaches us about salvation. It makes us wise for salvation. The word of God, which you have in your hand or is on your phone, it nourishes us. It feeds us. It's good for us. And it fuels us. And so this fear, it is reverential and acknowledging God as holy, but it's relational. A right fear of the Lord wants to spend time with the Lord. And then the rest of the psalm, which we're going to go through now, talks about what the result of that is. So for someone who fears the Lord and delights in his word, delights in his character and delights in his heart, which is revealed in the scriptures, what is the result of that? And the result of it is that we become imitators of God. We're able to display the very character of God, which is described in Psalm 111. So there are many results of the fear of the Lord, and we're going to go through them now. And as you'll see as we go through uh, the chapter in your hands, the results of a fear of the Lord display and imitate the character of God, which is also described in 111. So I'll try my best to show where there are links. But what's the first result of someone who fears the Lord? What does it say? Look down with me. Verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. There's this sense that as we fear the Lord, the benefits of that kind of seep into those closest to you, those around you, your family, those who you care for, if you have children, for your children. Carries on verse 3, doesn't it? What are some of the, the other outcomes of a fear of the Lord? Wealth and riches are in his house. 
This isn't talking here about kind of possessions and things and money. It's more talking about kind of honor and a kind of a sense of having enough and being provided for. The corresponding verse in uh, 111 talks of the splendor of God, that we're able to display this splendor and this kind of um, honor in our own lives. Verse 3 carries on, doesn't it? What does it say? Is righteousness endures forever. This is an exact uh, phrase which is used in the same verse in 111 where it's describing that God's righteousness endures forever. That for those who put their trust in the Lord, our righteousness, our right state before God, it endures forever, it lasts. No one can ever take that away from you. Verse 4, light dawns in the darkness for those. Notice that darkness does come for people who believe. And maybe you're really actually struggling with something right now and you feel like you're in darkness. Or maybe the pandemic was just absolutely, it was just horrible for you. Notice what happens here, light dawns. There's a sense that God guides you through that and he will be your hope and stay during those dark moments. Darkness doesn't necessarily go away and it may stay with you a long time. But what happens, a light dawns and you'll be guided through it. The end of verse 4, we have this wonderful phrase, which the man or woman of God who fears the Lord is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Gracious and merciful. Now, if you're listening to this as someone in the Old Testament, your ears would prick up at this point. You'd sit up and take notice. Gracious and merciful. Another translation, it's gracious and compassionate. And the reason why you would have stood up and took notice is because in every other instance of that phrase in the Bible, it's referring to God. It's exclusively reserved for God. And yet what happens when we fear the Lord and we delight to be in his presence? We can display grace and mercy. Gosh, there are so many times where I do something and I think, oh, I wish I'd just had more grace in that instance, that I was more forgiving, that I displayed more mercy. This is something that happens. And it's a, it's a remarkable statement that we're able to be gracious and merciful. This God who is so holy and is just un, untouchable for the, for the people at, at that time in the Old Testament to think that we could display those same characteristics. Some more benefits we'll go through quickly, or results, I should say. Um, verse 5, look down with me. Someone who conducts his affairs with justice. This is the same characteristic God is described as in the 111. We're also able to provide, verse 5, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends. And then verse 9, we're able to distribute freely and give to the poor. And lastly, verse 6 and verse 9 speak of uh, the eternal value of fearing in the Lord and trusting in him. What does it say, verse 6? He will be remembered forever. The righteous person will be remembered forever. Verse 9, his righteousness endures forever. You see, the characteristics of God are eternal in nature. They last. They have significance. And look with me at verse 10. What's the converse of this? So what's the opposite of things which last? Well, it's the wicked, isn't it? The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and he melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Do you see that? That the wicked man, the desires of things which are contrary to God, they don't last, they're not eternal. But for us, we get verse 6 and verse 9. We endure forever. Our righteousness before God lasts and endures 
because it is eternal. You see, as we fear the Lord and as we spend time with him, the character and the attributes of this glorious God, which are described in 111, get displayed in us. We become imitators of God. No, we don't actually become God. Of course, the Bible is very clear on that. And it's not even that we become like mini-gods. You know, the Bible says in, in 1 John 1 verse 8 that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. We're kind of deceiving ourselves. So it's not that we become God, but rather that we're able to display the characteristics of God. We also know that as a result of Jesus, for those who've put their trust in him, we are predestined to become more like Christ. Romans 8 speaks of that that we're predestined to become more like Jesus. The book of 2 Peter takes it almost kind of a step further and talks of how we're able to display the divine nature of God to those around us, that we're able to witness to other people as a result of putting our trust in him. And so there's a sense that it is still active. There is still an active participation of us to put our trust in him. And so my encouragement is to not to, to try or to think, oh, I need to do this and then this will happen, but just to delight in being in the presence of the Lord. And as we fear and delight in the word and the character and the heart of God, we become imitators of our gracious and merciful God. And I just think that's fantastic and an amazing witness to others around us. Now, the other thing that happens as we put our trust in the Lord is that our faith becomes immovable unshakable. Now, before we look at how this happens within the psalm, I think it's important to know one of the main ways which kind of arguments or points were got across in Hebrew poetry. So if I was to make an argument to you today, my thought process, or like Western thought process, is very linear. So it's kind of this, therefore this, therefore this is the main point. And we see that in a lot of the New Testament letters as well, which Paul writes. He goes, there's this, Therefore this, therefore my main point is this. Whereas in um, Hebrew poetry, they deploy something called a chiasm. Now in a chiasm, the main point which you're trying to make is in the middle of a piece of text, or in fact the whole psalm itself. Now we're going to look at where we find this chiasm in a minute. But think of it another way. A chiasm is like, if you go on a walk and you go up and down a mountain, kind of like the main point, the best point, the most significant point or the high point is when you reach the summit and then the rest of the walk you come down the mountain. We see chiasm still in our songs we sing today, whether they're secular or not. We kind of have a build, don't we, to kind of the crescendo, which is often like the start of the chorus and then the rest of the song carries on. And so when we, when we look at chiasms in, in Psalms and in, in the Bible, the main point of the text will be in the middle. And we can identify that main point because the text just before it and just after it will either be really, really similar or identical. So when you see a piece of text and then either side of it, just before and just after it, the text is identical. You can think, ah, there's the chiasm. That's the most important point in the passage. Okay? So come with me. Verse 7 and verse 8. What does it say? He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid. So what's the main point here? The main point is trusting in the Lord because what's just before it? His heart is firm. And what's just after it? His heart is steady. And what's just before 
um, his heart is firm, he's not afraid of bad news. And what's just after his heart is steady, he will not be afraid. Do you see how that works? Trust in the Lord, bang, your heart becomes steady and is established in the Lord. And then we don't need to fear the bad news. Now let's be clear on a couple of things here. Firstly, notice that bad news comes, just like the darkness. If you're a believer, bad news is inevitable. And it's also not talking here, the phrasing here is saying you will not be afraid. This is not an antidote to people who are suffering with clinical levels of anxiety. Although trusting in the Lord, I do believe, can help that clearly. We have medical professionals to help people in those instances. But what it is talking about is as we trust in the Lord, we become immovable. Our hearts become strong and established. The word that actually means to lean on, to lean towards God. There's a sense that as we put our trust in the Lord, our hearts become rock solid at a kind of deeper level. So in the midst of of struggle and and bad news times, it's okay to feel, oh, this is horrible, this is really frustrating, I don't like being in this bad news. The rest of the Psalms are testament to that. Basically, half of all the other 150 Psalms is people saying, God, this is terrible, where are you? Like, I absolutely hate being in this instance. But often, nearly always, at the end even of those Psalms, it comes back to this kind of deep-seated Firm belief in the Lord, yet I will trust you, yet I know that you are good. And so this is what it is saying. If you want a faith and a heart which is rock solid at the depth, so on the surface it may feel very shaky, but in your depth you know that the Lord is to be trusted. Then that is what happens. We put our trust in the Lord. You see, the psalmist uses a chiasm to show that not being afraid comes from a steady heart which comes from the Lord. You see, it, all, it kind of mirrors that central bit. And interestingly, I was going to show you on the screen how the rest of the psalm keeps on mirroring. So it's a chiasm kind of extends. So it's really, really interesting, but I'm a bit nerdy about that. So, and you would have seen that on the screen, but don't worry. The main point is, as we fear and trust in the Lord, we not only become imitators of the Lord, but he creates in us this kind of immovable faith and heart. So I said at the beginning, we often ask questions, don't we, of ourselves. How do we become more like Christ? How do we become more like this God who is marvellous and described in superlatives in Psalm 111? Well, the answer is that we would fear the Lord and greatly delight to spend time with him. But then practically, how do we go about do that? So kind of we've seen how it is that the Lord kind of changes our hearts. And as we fear and delight in his commandments, we're able to display him. We're able to display the character of God to others. But how are we practically kind of able to allow that to happen? Can I encourage you to to do what it says at the end of verse 1? And I want to encourage you to do that. I don't want to put pressure on you to do that. I want to encourage you to delight in spending time with God. Get to know the character of our God. Get to know who our God is, what he is like. And so I think there are many ways we can get to know our Lord, but I do think the primary way, and certainly what this passage is pointing us towards, is to get into the word of God, what you have in front of you. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you may have cringing inside, thinking, ah, I find that really difficult. I find that really tough. Or actually, right now, I'm finding that really tough. Can I encourage you to, uh, just two, um, two or three practical pieces of advice? Actually, starting in the Psalms, I think, is a really good place. 
Um, if you're in a bit of a rut, kind of in, in, in finding it difficult to read the Word of God, um, they're fairly simple, um, but they also display so many different attitudes, I think, of our own heart. Equally, if you're finding it difficult, just going through one of the Gospels, really going to the heart of who God is, which is most clearly demonstrated in the person of Jesus, can I encourage you to go there? And the most important thing, really, is that it impacts your heart. Whether it's five or ten minutes, or whether it's longer, if it impacts your heart, that is the most important thing. Another thing I want to say here, I really want to encourage you, is please, please, please don't feel that you're under pressure from God to do this. He's not sat there with like a clipboard being like, oh, have you, ah, oh, you haven't done your time today. And I hope you don't feel pressure from other Christians as well. That you see other Christians and think, oh, they're doing this and I'm not doing that. Or maybe even you're hearing me speak and thinking, ah, oh, I, I don't want you to be putting pressure on me. So I don't want to put pressure on you at all. I just want to encourage you that hopefully you've seen through the psalm that as we do it, gosh, it's so good that our character changes to become more like God. You see, God created you because he loves you and because he wants to spend time with you. He didn't create you so that he could have a checklist of things you're doing and not doing. No, that's not why he created you. He created you to spend time with you. And I think as we know that and as we understand that, whew, pressure's off. Oh, maybe I miss a day where I don't read the Bible. There's no pressure. Yes, it's great to read God's Word every day, and I definitely encourage that, and I think that that has a monumental impact on yours and my faith. My faith. Two other practical pieces of advice which I would give. We spoke at the beginning about kind of the fear of the Lord which is a huge concept, which we could kind of spend a whole sermon series on and of itself. But one practical tip someone gave me to really kind of think about the fear of the Lord is when we come to pray to God, just taking a moment to recognize his holiness, to recognize, wow, I get to speak to God, and I have free access to him as a result of Jesus. And, but he is still holy, he is still God, and he is still majestic. hear me when I say I don't do that every time. Don't think, oh, Sam, he he stops and considers God's holiness every day he prays. I don't do that. But when I do do it, it really kind of sets my heart straight and humbles me. And lastly, and I think this is a point which um, I definitely want to make and is is, uh, important to make, given that the context of the Old Testament is still drastically different to us now, is that we have complete free access to the Spirit of God as a result of what Jesus has done. His Spirit dwells within us. We can ask to be filled by the Spirit of God each day. And so can I encourage you, as you come to consider spending time and getting to know more and more of the character of God, just being asked to be filled with the Spirit of God. For the mundane things of doing work or whatever it is, changing nappies or whatever, ask for God's Spirit to help us in the mundane and in what we might consider the extraordinary as well. So... Hopefully, that was helpful. Hopefully, God was speaking to you through his word and by his spirit, even though uh, you weren't going to see my fantastic PowerPoint. Um, it was pretty basic, to be honest. But um, I'm just going to finish in prayer. Uh, and I just invite you, as I pray, I will leave some time after I've finished praying as well for you to, to speak to God in your heart, and then I'll bring it to a close. So, Father, thank you so much 
for your word. Thank you, Lord, that as we fear you and delight in spending time with us, our heart changes and we can display you to others. And I thank you, Lord, that as we trust in you, our hearts can be stilled. Lord, I pray now you'd help us to, to just speak to you in our own hearts uh, about, about what you've spoken to us today. Thank you, Lord. And thank you yet again, Father, that we can still speak to you and hear from you this morning. I pray, Lord, that you bless each one of us as we consider these things in our hearts and as we uh, move on uh, from today. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.